Well, turning your Bibles to John, excuse me, to Acts chapter 2, and we're finishing this really two-part study of what we're calling the purpose. I'm going to put it up this way, calling it the purpose, the believer, and the body. And what we did, we're looking at uh, some, some basic stuff, but vital truths dealing with the role of both the believer individually and then corporately. So we who have trusted Jesus Christ, we're changed. We've gone from death to life, from darkness to light. We've, we belong to our Savior, Jesus Christ. But what is our purpose? What is our purpose individually and as a local body? Last time, we looked at what we do individually. And then this morning, we're going to look at the purpose of the local body. Now, we're going to go back and review a little bit of what we saw last week. Many of you weren't here. It was, you know, spring break and everything. So we wanted to to go over that for you to see it. Uh, As we begin, you know, there's a great deal of confusion concerning the local church. What is the church supposed to do or, or even to do? We realize that the church is made up of those who have believed in Jesus Christ for eternal life. We've been placed in union with Christ in the body of Christ. Well, what are we to do? If you look on our sign, it says proclaiming Christ and training believers. That's called making disciples. And the whole idea is we lead people to Christ and train them and equip them. What is the plan of the church? What we find today in a lot of churches, it's experiences, it's drama, it's music, it's entertainment, it's programs. What are we really supposed to do? In this study, we've been looking at briefly both the individual believer and then the local church. Let me give you the outline of the study. We uh, looked at it this way. We said that we're talking about the believer in the body. Last week, we looked at the individual believer. We talked about our ministry, ministry and message of reconciliation, and we saw three things. And we're just going to remind you of those just in a minute, but those three things we're to do. This morning, we're going to look at the purpose of the local church, the body. We're going to talk about the body of believers, and then we're going to look at three vital experiences or three vital things that we need to do as a church if we're going to fulfill the role that we're supposed to do. So let me remind you, last week, we talked about the individual. And we said that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20, the most important passage in the New Testament dealing with reconciliation, we've been given a ministry and message of reconciliation. We get to go into this community and into this world and tell people how they can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. We tell them that Jesus died and rose again, and when they believe in him, they have eternal life. That passage says we're new creations in Christ. When we believe in Christ, we've been placed in Christ. We're a new creation. 18 and 19 actually say that God has reconciled us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ, and gave us the ministry. And so we talked about it. How Last week, this is what we said. We talked about we get to to do that, and we get to, to, to talk about it. And we said that when you look at this this opportunity to go out and do that, we said that we needed a foundation. And there were three things we said we must do. We must offer ourselves to God, keep the focus on Jesus Christ, and remember who we represent. Those are the three things. So let me remind you. We talked about offering ourselves to God, Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living and holy sacrifices. The first thing we do is we present our bodies to Jesus Christ. Now understand, we're not talking about salvation. Salvation is by faith alone and Christ alone, and everyone who's believed in Jesus Christ, we have eternal life. But as a believer, we have the great privilege to offer our lives. Salvation is a gift and costs us absolutely nothing, but serving Jesus Christ, giving him our lives, cost us our lives. And so we talked about it last week, that as believers, we should, we should give our lives in service for Jesus Christ. So that's what we should do. Then we saw the second thing, if we're going to make the difference, we need to keep the focus on Jesus Christ. We're running the race of the Christian life. We went to Hebrews 12, where it says we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and run with endurance, race that force, focusing our eyes on Jesus Christ. 
And so as we go through our Christian lives, the, the goal is to remember that we're looking at Jesus. It's not the circumstances. We look at the circumstances. We'll fail. We keep running the race, keeping our focus on Jesus Christ. The third thing was we remember who we represent. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, we're ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech through us. You understand that it's as if God is begging other people to believe in Jesus through us. We go out these doors. We want people to be persuaded. We want people to trust in Jesus. As he actually says, we, as though God were begging through us for people to be reconciled to God. So every one of us in this room, we get to go out into this world, and we get to tell people about Jesus. And we talked about last week, it is not a take it or leave it, like, well, let me just give you a message. We're saying to them, we beg you. Put your faith in Christ. Believe in him for eternal life. He is the only way. He is the way and the truth and the life. And so we saw all that. We talked about, so offering ourselves to God, running the race, and remembering who we are. Now we move from the individual, that was us individually, to the corporate, to the body. What do we do? Well, we realize we have the same commission, both individually and corporately. We're to proclaim the message of reconciliation. So as a church, that's our goal. We're to proclaim this great message. We go out into the world and we tell people that they can be reconciled to God. We help them grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We do all those things. So as we begin this morning, let's talk about the church for just a little bit. And, and when we think about the church, I think there's misunderstandings when you think about it. Sometimes when people think of the church, they think of a building. They say, where's your church? And they say, isn't it out on the highway there? And, and, and see, they're thinking of the church as a building. This is a building where the church meets. Second, some people think church is an event. They'll say, we having church uh, next week? Are we having church like church is an event? No, no church. Church is actually the body of Christ. And the church meets at different times and meets in different places. But the church is the body of Christ, the believers. And we think about the church, there's two big aspects, the church gathered and the church scattered. We gather together, we scatter out. We gather for worship and training. So I want you to think about this. When we gathered this morning, it was to worship our Savior, Jesus Christ, and to be trained and equipped to serve him. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And then we scatter and we go into this community for evangelism and service. As we lead people to Christ, the goal is to, to scatter out and to tell people as we use the gifts, talents, and abilities God's given us. So we gather and scatter. Now, with that in mind, uh, just like the individual, there's some things that we need to do as a body. And so the church corporately has three, I, I, it could be more, but I've just picked out three here, three vital experiences, three things that we have to do if we want to be effective in fulfilling our purpose. And that's where those verses came in that I read earlier in Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. And we need to understand that. And look at this. As the church began in Jerusalem, many believed in Christ for eternal life. Think about this. There was, on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up. There were 120 believers. He proclaimed the great message. We just looked at this in our grow group uh, just, just a while ago. And we talked about how Peter said that Jesus Jesus died and rose again, and whoever believes in him, and he presented the message, and he told the Jewish people that they had actually crucified the Messiah, and so he told them that, and some people believed. In fact, it says, so those who had received the word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 people. 3,000 people believed in Jesus Christ on that first day. So Peter spoke on the day of Pentecost, and 3,000 people believed. Now, what are the things we need to focus on? Just like as a believer, you need to offer your life, run the race at, at keeping the focus on Jesus and, 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 you know, doing all the things we had to do. But what do we do now as a body? 
what do we do as a body? There's three things. We're going to see the vital experiences, and we'll go fairly quickly through this. We're going to see that the Word of God, fellowship with God and fellow believers, and then relationship with unbelievers. Those are the three aspects that we need to think about. Now, let me, let me just do this. I'm just going to touch on it. When we talk about the Word of God, we're talking about the Scripture. We're not talking about the books or anything, because I know some people say, we got a Bible study going. I said, what are you studying? They'll say, we're studying Swindoll's book. I said, that's not a Bible study. That's a study on somebody's book. A Bible study is studying the Bible. So the focus has to be the Word of God. We'll talk more about that in a minute, but we're going to talk about dealing with salvation and Christian life and all that other things. Then the second thing is we're going to talk about fellowship both with God and fellow believers. That's the key. When you're in fellowship with God, you're in fellowship with other believers. When you're out of fellowship with God, you're out of fellowship with other believers. And by the way, when you're out of fellowship with fellow believers, you're out of fellowship with God. And we're going to talk about how do we, what do we see in these passages that they did to maintain that fellowship. And then the third thing is the relationship with unbelievers. Uh, that we want to have a relationship and, and build uh, relationships with unbelievers so that as time goes by, possibly, we can lead them to Christ, that they can put their faith in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And so those are the big three aspects that we're seeing. And let me show you how they fit together in these passages. The three vital experiences. In Acts 2.42, notice, and they were continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the Bible, and the fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer, excuse, fellowship, breaking the bread into prayer, and that ties together. And then it goes down in verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So notice, the apostles' teaching is the word of God. The fellowship, breaking of bread, is dealing with fellowship with believers. The prayer and praising God and all that is fellowship with God, and those two go together. And then the third thing is favor with all people. That's relationship to unbelievers. So this passage gives us those three things. The Word of God, fellowship with God and believers, and relationships with unbelievers. And so one of the things I want you to notice in verse 42, just look at 42 for a second. It says, they were continually devoting themselves to, and it says, apostles teaching, fellowship, breaking, it goes on and saying, I want you to understand, this is not something they did one time. This is not something they said, we ought to try someday. This is what they were focused on. This is what they were continually devoting themselves to do. So let's start with the first one, and that is the Word of God. The apostles' teaching, notice it says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. That is the word of God. The apostles' teaching came from really three different things. Number one, came from the Old Testament. Number two, it came from Jesus actually teaching. And number three, it came from the direct revelation they got as they wrote the New Testament. So they were continually devoting themselves to the teaching of the word of God. The Bible is the key. We must have that same experience as a local body. It has to be the Bible. We gather or scatter. The foundation for all of this is the Word of God. The Word of God is the authority for our lives and ministry and relationships. We come together to be taught the Word of God. We not come together to hear uh, funny stories. We not come together to read somebody's book. We not come together to get a sermon. You've come together to understand the Scripture so you can know it and make application in your life. That's what it's all about. So the Word of God. We always go back to the Word of God. If we don't don't have the Word of God, we don't have, have anything. And there are churches, even our community and in this world, that they don't hold the Bible. They say, we don't, well, the Bible's a good book and things. Listen, they don't have anything. They don't have anything to offer because the Scripture is the key. And, and when you speak and you speak the Scripture, the Scripture is the authority, not the speaker. And so even today, if I'm teaching Scripture, that's the authority, not, not me. 
And so let's think about the Bible for a second. Hebrews 4.12 says, The word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than two-edged sword, piercing forest, division of soul and spirit, both of the joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's, that's Hebrews 4.12. It's alive and powerful. It is the word of God, and it touches lives. It is alive and powerful. When you study the Bible, you're seeing things. The Holy Spirit is helping you understand, and the word of God helps you grasp it and understand it because it's alive. The second thing, it never comes back void. Isaiah 55, 11, it never comes back void, but accomplishes the purpose that God has. That means when you teach the scripture on a Sunday morning or any time, it's going out to every one of you, and it's never going to come back void. It's going to touch your life in the way that God wanted the word of God to touch your life. It never comes back void. It always accomplishes the purpose. That's why you can teach a scripture, and some, something for one of you out there, you may go, wow, I, I got that. Somebody else, it may be a different part of it that they were touched by. So God uses his word. Second Timothy says all scriptures inspired by God, which means it's from God to man, from God through man. It's profitable for us. It helps us grow. It's helped us do all of these different things. It is for our benefit. It is the Bible. So what do we do? Ezra said that his plan was to know the scripture, apply the scripture, and teach the scripture. Well, we have the same thing. We're to know the scripture, 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show yourself approved to God, a workman need not be ashamed, handling accurately the word of God. You've got to handle accurately. We've got to know it. Then Philippians says to practice it, to live it out, and then we've got to pass it on to others, 2 Timothy 2.2. That's the reason we have the 2-2 class that I'm teaching right now in SBI. It's where we take what we've been taught and pass it on. That's why when we, the 412 that Brian teaches, you take the truths there and pass them on. Any other SBI classes that are being taught, you take the truths that are there and pass them on. The goal is to take what you know and apply it in your life and pass it on. That is the plan. And so, as 2 Timothy 4.2 says, preach the word. It's the foundation. Now, let me just say something to you. When it says preach the word, it doesn't mean like a guy behind a pulpit preaching. It means to announce the word. It means to announce the truth. We're to take what we know, and we're to pass it on so people can understand it. We're to take this Bible. We're about to be taught the Bible, know the Bible, apply the Bible, and pass it on. Uh, I always say that there are three kind of pastors or three kind of preachers, so to speak. There's those that talk really well, and they're really good. And they have lots of thousands of people coming to where they are, but they don't use the Bible at all. They're good speakers, but they're saying absolutely nothing. And then there's those who talk about the Bible. I mean, that's the thing. They can talk about the Bible, and it sounds pretty good. They might read a verse, and then they talk about it. But then there are those who actually teach the Scripture, and they go verse by verse, passage by passage, teaching the Bible, putting it together. What you want is the Bible taught. You don't want sermons. You want Scripture. You want the Word of God as it's taught so you can grasp it and understand it. Even today, when we're doing a two-part study and not going through a book verse by verse, we are still taking this passage and going verse by verse in Acts chapter 2, 41 through 47. So that's that's the goal, and that's what we should do. And so the first thing that's important, if we're going to be the church we're supposed to be, is the focus has to be the Scripture. And let me tell you, I'm so excited about our church. On a Sunday morning, it's the Scripture. In the Grow Group, it's the Scripture. In the children's ministry, it's the Scripture. In the youth ministry, it's the Scripture. In the college ministry, it's the Scripture. And the Sam's group that meets tomorrow night, it's going to be the Scripture. When the women meet, it's on the Scripture. When we have a men's retreat, it's on the Scripture. Everything goes back to the Word of God. It is our only source of authority, and that's the key. And that's what this church is built on. That's why when we founded this church, we called it Stillwater Bible 
church because the emphasis is the word of God, the Bible, the scripture. So that's the key. And so we have to have to do that. So that's the first big one. The second one is fellowship with God and believers. And we're talking about fellowship. We'll talk about how that relates in just a second. But let's start with fellowship with believers and our connection with fellow believers. And there are four things that stand out. And I'll show you how it stands out in a minute. But one is unity, then eating together, and then prayer and then sharing physically. Those are the four things that stand out. Let me show you. So, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostle teaching, that's the word, to fellowship. Now, I want you to understand something. This Greek word fellowship here doesn't mean fellowship like eating together. This means a unity of purpose. Then, breaking of bread, now that's eating, okay? That's a little bit different. And the prayer. So there's number one is the, the unity. There's the eating. There's the prayer. And then look at this. And they begin selling their property and possessions and sharing them with all, everyone who might have need. That's meeting needs. So there is the fellowship, which is unity of purpose. There's the breaking of bread, which is meals. There's prayer, which is, of course, we know what that is, praying. And then helping each other physically. Those are the four things that we see we do in our fellowship with each other. So let's start with this one, the unity of purpose. Look at this. And day by day, they continued, now notice this, with one mind in the temple. Now let's stop and think for just a second. What does that mean, unity of purpose? That has the idea that we're one mind, our beliefs and our purpose. And this is what we do at Stillwater Bible. Listen, if I said to you, what do we at this church believe about the Bible? We should all say the same thing. We should say it's the Word of God. It's alive and powerful. It's a given, written revelation from God. If I said, what do we all believe about Jesus Christ? You'd say he's the Son of God who came to the earth, died on the cross, paid for sin. If I said, what do, what do we all believe about salvation? Every one of us would say he died on the cross to pay for sin. You believe in him, you get eternal life. And, and so we, we hold to the same thing. There's an idea that as a group of believers, as a fellowship aspect of it, but as the whole thing, we hold to the same ideas and the same beliefs. And you've got to be really careful because that's what keeps the unity of the body together. Because the Bible talks about there's one Lord, one faith, one that goes through all this and says, and we must maintain the unity. And so let me just say something, that, that in our church, if you wanted to teach a class, you first of all have got to have the 412 and the 22 because that means you've gone through those courses and you agree with what we believe and how we look at the Bible and what we believe about Christ and salvation and the Bible. And when people join our church, we have a membership training. And what do we do in the membership training? We teach them. What do we believe about Christ? What do we believe about the Bible? What do we believe about salvation? How does our church function? Gathered, scattered, all those kind of things. So that when people connect with this body, we're the same. We have that same unity of purpose, one mind together doing that. Let me tell you, I talked to a guy, this was, this was several years ago, but he get, goes to a different church in this town, and he said, you know, I noticed something. I said, what? He said, at our church, we got at least three different salvation messages. I said, what do you mean? He says, well, when the pastor gets up, he gives a particular salvation message. But in my Sunday school class, the teacher who teaches my Sunday school class gives a different salvation message. And the Sunday school class, which is right by me, has a different salvation message. He said, so at my church, we have three different messages about what a person must do to be saved. Well, that's not going to happen here. Because let me tell you, if somebody's teaching something and they start teaching this more than faith alone and Christ alone for eternal life, we'll deal with that. 
You can't have that. There has to be the unity of purpose as a body of believers. And so one mind, so the very first thing is when it says fellowship, it has the idea of one mind together, putting it all together. The second thing is the breaking of bread. Now, this is eating, okay, meals. It says day by day they continue with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Now, this is a fun thing. This is a time in which people get together and they eat. They go out to eat after church say let's all go out to eat or let's come over to somebody's house or let's go somewhere let's do something and it could be at any time in any place it is vital that believers get together it is vital that you meet and you go out to eat and you do things because if when you look at the scripture that's one of the keys do you remember when abraham was sitting out by his tent and he looks up and here comes jesus and two angels and what's the first thing he did he went let's get something to eat for everybody because there's an idea of a fellowship and an idea of this uh, connection when you eat together. So I just want you to know that if any of you want me to come eat with you, I will be glad to do that anytime, any place. And so this is the breaking of bread. And we're going to see it has more than that one meaning. We'll see it more in just a minute. So they were meeting together. The third thing is prayer. Notice, they were continuing devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and to prayer. And it's both individually and group. They prayed for each other. Now, you think about this, that when the apostles got arrested one time, they brought them in, beat them. And when they came back, they came back to the group of believers, and they were praising God that they were, they suffered for Jesus Christ. And it said, they all lifted up their voices in one accord and prayed. And do you remember when Peter was put into, uh, uh, put into prison, James, they cut James's head off, and they put Peter in prison. They were going to kill him. And in John Mark's mother's house, they were all meeting together for prayer. And so they, they were characterized by prayer. And that's one of the things we need to do. We need to be in groups and pray together. We need to have time to pray, not just on a Sunday morning at the start of a message or something, but we do need to pray together. We've got any small group you have, uh, it ought to be the times of prayer and then all kinds of things like that. The fourth one is they shared physically. And uh, it says, all those who had believed were together and all had things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with them all. As even when my, this is not communism. This is people saying, I've got, I've got enough. I'm going to sell it or I'm going to give it so that somebody else who might have a need can have it. And we do that in our church all the time. When we people have, find out people have needs, we do things for them. Listen, if you have a need, let us know because our body, let me tell you, you are amazing. You are amazing. I've watched over these years. When you find out there's a need, you always meet it. When you find out somebody has a need in this body, you, you fix it and you make sure it's taken care of. You've done this time and time and time again. I'm so proud of you. Thank, thank you. It just, it, and look what it says. That they were sharing with them and he might have need. They shared the physical aspect. And so when we think about this, there, as this foundation with the relationship or the fellowship with fellow believers, there's the unity, the eating together, prayer, sharing, meeting needs, all of that. Now, with that in mind, what about the fellowship with God? There are three things in the passage. There's breaking of bread, prayer, and worship. Let's talk about it for just a second. The, break, the word breaking of bread, it's in, it's in there a number of times, of course, but breaking of bread has a dual meaning in the scripture here. It can mean eating together, but it was also meant to have the Lord's Supper. Now, I want you to understand that when we think about church at the beginning, it wasn't like they came together at either 8.30 or 11 on a Sunday morning. They didn't do that. The first day of the week, Sunday's the first day of the week, they worked on the first day of the week. 
And so most likely they met in what we'd say Sunday night uh, in the evening. And they would come together and they would have a meal. They called it the love feast or the agape feast. Then they would have their message and then they would have the Lord's Supper. They did this almost every time. And so to have this fellowship, this connection with God, the first thing is the Lord's Supper. We have the Lord's Supper occasionally. We might ought to have it more as the idea that we remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. The, the second thing, let me, that's the Lord's Supper. The second thing is prayer. They maintained their fellowship with the Savior. And it talks about they continued and, and breaking the bread and prayer. And that is not just praying with fellow believers, but praying to God and maintaining the fellowship with God. How, how do you maintain your fellowship with God? You talk to him. That's one. I mean, you obey him, but you talk to him. And you say, Lord, I'm here. <laughs> uh, are you there? Yeah, I know. You are. You're always there. You love us with an unconditional unchanging love. And then the third thing was worship. And in 242, look what it's, I mean, 247, look at the end. It says, praising God and having favor with all the people. That's praising God. That's worship. They kept their focus on God. I like this right here. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place to the apostles. Now, this is before the scripture was written. And, and so there was sign gifts and they were doing all kinds of miracles. After you find the scripture being completed, you don't see those sort of things anymore. But this is what was happening at the very beginning. And they were praising God. And let me tell you, I, I, I've sat right there and I look up here and I see 12 to 13 to 14 people playing instruments and singing and leading us in praise and worship. You know, when we talk about worship, people, a lot of times people think the music's the worship. No, no. Singing, praying, giving, studying, all of those are acts of worship. But isn't it amazing to watch what happens up here when they start singing those songs and you start singing and we're lifting up our voices in praise to the living God. That's what we're doing. It is beautiful. And so it says, everyone kept this sense of awe and the signs and wonders were done and they were praising God. And so... We must keep our focus on God, whether as we gather, as we worship him, as we pray, as we praise, as we do the Lord's Supper. This is so important for us as the body of believers. That takes us to the third one. And the first one's the word of God. We've got to maintain that. Second, fellowship with God and believers. The third one is relationship with unbelievers. And that's the key, and that's evangelism. And that really happens when we scatter. And let me say something. I'm going to always present the gospel every Sunday morning. I'm going to always say that Jesus died and rose again. You believe in him, you get eternal life. I'm going to give up people opportunity. But the bottom line is, who's gathered together? This is the believer. The church is made up of those who have believed in Jesus Christ. So when the Bible writes to the church at Corinth, it's not writing to unbelievers. They're writing to believers. And so technically, when we gather on a Sunday morning, it's the believers gathering together to worship Jesus Christ. And then we scatter for evangelism. Now, there may be people who have never believed in Christ for eternal life. They may come on a Sunday morning, and that's why we always present the gospel. But in reality, this is the body of Christ coming together, and we praise and worship him. Now, we scatter to take the message of Jesus Christ to this whole world. And, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. Um, everyone kept feeling this sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place. Look at this right here. They were praising God, and they were having that. This is that they were having favor with all the people. That's not talking about believers. That's talking about unbelievers, because they would say brethren if they were talking about believers. They're talking about unbelievers and having favor with all the people. And look at this: the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
When was the last time you got to go out from here and you shared your faith with someone? Remember we talked about getting a connection, building a relationship so that you can share your faith and tell people how to have eternal life. Well, I trusted Christ when I was 19. I was real fired up. I was at Delta State. That's a college that I went to. And uh, me and another guy, we would leave. I lived in the athletic dorm. We would leave and walk across the campus to the library. And I would actually go into the library, and I would go up to people that I didn't even know them, and I'd say, hey, let me ask you a question. If you were to die, would you go? And so I started sharing my faith, and I had, I had a great time. And I remember one time we were coming back after going to the library, talking to people, and the pastor that led me to Christ was named Knapp, and Knapp happened to be there because he would come to the athletic dorm a lot, hang around with us and do Bible studies and things. So we came back one time, and I saw Knapp, and I said, hey, Knapp, we've been over at the library uh, saving people. And Knapp said, J.B., you're not saving them. Jesus is the Savior. You're just telling them. And I'm like, yeah, okay, I got you, I got you. So that, that we're praising God and having favor, but the Lord is the one who's adding. The Lord was adding. That's evangelism. So you go out with the great message, and you can't determine whether a person's going to believe or not, but you can give them the message, and you can say, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's what it's all about. And so we have it. The great message, Jesus died and rose again. The response is to believe, and the offer is eternal life. Where do we get that? From John three sixteen. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to die and rise again, that whosoever would believe, that's the response, would never perish but have everlasting life. That's the offer. That's where we get it. So what have we seen? The three vital things is the Word of God. We've got to maintain that. Fellowship with God and believers. And relationship with unbelievers. And so with that in mind, we're going back to last week, the believer. We have the ministry of reconciliation. And what do we do? We offer our lives. We keep our focus on Christ. And we remember we represent Christ. For today, the church, the body, we have the commission. We have the experience of the Word of God, fellowship with God and believers, and relationship with unbelievers. So let me finish with giving you some applications. And this ties both messages together from last week as well. As believers... Let us have the foundation so we can carry out the ministry of reconciliation. Understand our ministry and message. Our ministry and message is, the, is, the, is that God so loved the world, he gave his son Jesus, and whoever believes has eternal life. The perfect God brings sinful man back to himself using his son Jesus Christ. That's our ministry of reconciliation. And so what do we do? We offer our lives, saying, God, take my life, use me for your glory. We run the race looking at Jesus, and we realize we represent, we are ambassadors for Christ. Second, as a local church, let's provide these three things that's important to fulfill the commission. Let's teach the Word of God. That's the foundation. It doesn't matter what area it is, whether it's young or old, children, women, men, the Bible has to be taught. Second, let's keep the fellowship with God and believers. That's the meals, the Lord's Supper, the prayer, the unity, the sharing, the worship, all of those things. And then let's seek relationships with the unbelievers. Be ready to share our faith. Colossians 3.17 says, Whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father by him. Whatever you do in word, what do you say? Or deed, whatever you do, do it for the glory of Jesus Christ. So as we go out these doors, our words and our lives are going to reflect Jesus Christ so we can share our faith with those who do not know him.